3rd John as we continue our studies in the Johannine Epistles. Be our second last sermon in that whole series, but also in 3rd John. We're going to look at verses 5 through 8 this morning, but I will read the entire book. So we'll begin reading at verse 1. We're going to see the generosity of Gaius. So we will begin reading at verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers, who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Amen. Well, let us pray. O Lord our God, we are thankful for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit, and we're thankful for the indwelling of your Holy Spirit uh, in the hearts and lives of your people. And we know that in this fallen world, we still have remaining corruption. We still have many things that we struggle with. And so there are still things that we do get wrong. And so we ask and pray that today that you would help us to get uh, what we read today right. That we would have a proper understanding of your word here, a proper understanding of hospitality, a sober understanding of generosity and what that means. And so we pray that you'd help us by your spirit to grow as people, to grow as the children of God, that we would grow into maturity and that we'd have a mature view of money, a mature view of the, th uh, the material things that you've given to us with an understanding that the spiritual things are far greater. And so we're thankful for this tangible demonstration of love by way of finances. And we're thankful, O oh Lord, that everything that we have is from you. Everything you give to us is from you. Everything we have is a gift from you. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that we would have that right understanding. We pray more importantly, we have a right understanding of the gospel. And we are thankful for the, the imagery that is used in the scriptures concerning salvation how we can come and buy without money, how we can come and uh, drink of the living waters without having to purchase it. It is given to us. And so thank you for this blessed gospel that it is free. And we're thankful that you are gracious to save sinners and give us new life. And we're thankful that what we have is everlasting. And so we pray that if there are any here today who do not know you, please save them. Please show them that they are destitute. Please show them that they are poor 
and we pray that you would save their souls. Show them that money is an idol. Show them that money, uh, having it as much money um, as this world can offer, cannot save, but it is Christ who saves. So be with us by your spirit. Enlighten our hearts and minds. Help our eyes to know more. Help our eyes to see. Help our ears to hear. May we have a better understanding of how we ought to live in this world. So be with us now by your spirit, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, I have a rhetorical question. How many of you feel weird about talking about money? And I know the answer is all of you feel weird about talking about money. And that's exactly how I feel when we come to passages like 3 John. That's exactly, I'm sure, how uh, the officers feel when we have to talk about money at the AGM. But nobody likes to talk about money. People get weird about money. And so it's important for us to have a proper understanding of what it is. We have to have a proper understanding of the gifts that God has given to us and how we ought to use it for the betterment of the kingdom of God. And we see that with John, as he has matured, as we see him as the elder, we see him here speaking about money, speaking about Gaius, speaking about hospitality and commending Gaius for his generosity to those who are in need, namely the traveling preachers, namely good traveling preachers. And we see that John's commendation shows us that money is exactly uh, one way one can be a fellow worker. It's a sign that someone is a fellow worker in the truth, as Gaius cares for and helps those who are in need, as he cares for those who've been commissioned by God to be preachers. We see in verse 8 that, that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Now, it's important to be reminded about the context. Certainly, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, probably all very similar with respect to what is going on or the broader context. There are traveling preachers. There are bad traveling preachers. There are heretics, but there are good traveling preachers as well, sent by John and sent by other apostles. And so John is writing to Gaius, an individual, to reinforce the importance of the truth, but also to instruct him in the importance of dealing with opposition. And so perhaps those secessionists, those heretics that we saw in First and Second John, uh, have started to cause some problems in the church where Gaius is at. And so there's issues, there is conflict. How ought the people of God ought to function when there is conflict in the church of God? Well, first of all, you don't do what Diotrephes does but rather we should do what Gaius does. And so he writes to assure him. He writes to encourage Gaius. He'll challenge Diotrephes, and we'll see that next week. Uh, but he writes to encourage Gaius, the one who knows the truth, but also we see Gaius's generosity that flows out of being saved by Christ. It flows out of the spiritual wealth that he has in Christ, but we see also that as he has this spiritual wealth, God has also provided for him materially here, and we see his generosity to those in need. Now, I think the problem we can glean from this is when God's people are not generous. Brethren, everything we have is a gift from God. The rain falls upon the just and the unjust. Everything we have is given to us by our Heavenly Father. And you see, we do not deserve anything. He is God and we are man, and yet he created us and has given us so many good things. And that shows the wickedness of man to, to stomp on that, to spit on that, and not to recognize where those good things come from. 
And it also magnifies the amazing grace of God all the more that he would save such unthankful, such ungrateful people, that he would save wretches like us, that we might have abundance, that we might have eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so because everything we have, including money, is from God, God's people ought to give of their first fruits to God. Now, in the New Testament, there is no specific number, but nonetheless, God has given, and we ought then to give to him as well. And the problem is when God's people aren't generous and when people do not give. Paul says otherwise. Paul says it is an act of worship. And John here commends Gaius for his generosity. It's an outworking of our love for one another. It is seen by way of financial contributions. And so uh, in 3 John 5 through 8, John commends Gaius for his generosity to faithful traveling preachers. It's a commendation. It's an encouragement. It's to reinforce what Gaius is already doing, that he might continue to do that very thing, to be generous. And so we'll look at this uh, commendation under two headings this morning. First of all, we will see the commendation of Gaius's generosity in verses 5 and 6. And then we'll see the demonstration of Gaius's generosity in verses 6 through 8. So the commendation and the demonstration. The commendation and the demonstration of Gaius's generosity. So let's first look at the commendation of Gaius's generosity in verses 5 and 6. Now, it's important to remember the greeting. We see that Gaius is a beloved one of John, a beloved friend whom he loves in the truth. They love one another according uh, to being found and share in the same Lord Jesus Christ. They are found in him. They love one another in him. But perhaps there is this uh, nearness as well, uh, closeness that they have. So he said to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. And then we see how he prays for Gaius in verses 2 through 4. And he uses the word beloved. So there is this intimate connection. He prays for health and prosperity uh, materially, uh, health and prosperity in body. But he also prays for... Um, uh, his prosperity in soul as well, just as your soul prospers. And then we see in verses 5 through 8 the outworking of uh, his faithfulness, the outworking of prospering in soul as well. And it comes by way uh, of financial help. We see what the, truth, uh, what the truth does for God's people and how we can love in the truth, how we love in body and in soul. So he's heard about what Gaius has done. He rejoices in the truth. And then we see what it is he is actually doing. And so we see what he does for others in verse 5. Again, this is that commendation portion. Again, we see that language beloved again. He is loved. He is loved by John. He is cared for by John. They have that close connection. So three times he's already called him the beloved. Uh, perhaps that's to encourage him. Perhaps he feels some discouragement from Diotrephes. Uh, perhaps uh, he's feeling some uh, struggles and going through that because of the problems, the conflicts that's happening in the church there. And so he's writing to encourage him. Beloved, my beloved one, he prays for, and now he encourages him. Now, the purpose here is not a new exhortation, but again, it's a reinforcement. He's already doing it. He's already being gracious. He's already being generous. And so John is saying, just keep doing what you're doing. 
Just keep being faithful. Just keep doing what you are supposed to do. And so we see him. He is uh, the one who is faithful. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. We see that Gaius is dependable. Gaius is loyal. Gaius is one you can count on. Gaius is one you know is going to be there for you. Gaius is the one you know you don't have to worry about whether they're going to show up or not. He is that very guy. He is dependable. He is faithful. And we see that perhaps there's this contrast with Diotrephes, who does not receive. Diotrephes, who's perhaps insecure, who wants the preeminence, where we see that Gaius is a faithful, dependable man. And I think dependability and faithfulness is a sign of maturity. Level-headedness is a sign of maturity. And certainly we see John, uh, the one who once argued with his brother about the one who would sit at the right hand of God, now he is matured. Now he's giving instruction concerning finances. He's giving instructions concerning faithfulness and dependability. And notice, Gaius isn't necessarily a missionary, but nonetheless, he is faithful. We see he is dependable. Because if we're going to be honest, most people are not going to be pastors. Most people are not going to be missionaries. And so we can see how is it that all of God's people can help in the missionary enterprise? How is it that all of God's people can help in the advancement of the kingdom of heaven? We're not all called to be preachers, but we can all pray. We're not all called to be preachers, but we can be hospitable. We're not all called to be preachers, but we can give with our finances. Churches can't live on love and fresh air. We need the people of God to help advance the mission, uh, the kingdom of God by way of finances. And some people uh, think uh, through, uh, th when they're thinking about finances, they think, is giving, is that all I'm doing? I'm just giving money. I used to hear that a lot in other churches. I'm just going to tithe my time and not my money, as if people don't need money. Brethren, the people of God, uh, the church needs finances to advance the kingdom of heaven. And so this is one way the people of God can help, hospitality and giving. Those are the two main applications that I think we see in these verses. So we see he is faithful, and we see he does whatever he can for the brethren and for strangers. This is the object of Gaius's goodness. It's towards those who are Christ's, and it's towards those who are Christ's whom he does not know. I think strangers is a subset of the brethren here. People that he knows certainly is involved, but also brethren whom he does not know. Ones he's probably never met before. And we see he does good to them. He cares for them. He is faithful to them. And probably the specific situation is there would have been missionaries. There would have been traveling preachers, traveling men set apart by the church of God. And they needed a place to stay. As I've said before, in the Greco-Roman world, there were no holiday inns. There were no Marriott's. There were no hotels that you would go to. An inn was a place filled with uh, wickedness, filled with uh, things that you would not want to observe. And so uh, traveling, uh, the Christians traveling in general, but especially preachers, they really needed Christians. They really relied upon them when they were traveling from place to place. And so we see that Gaius is willing to open up his home to help serve the church of Christ in this way. I used that quote from Davis last week where he said, some disciples die and lose their life, 
but some disciples keep their houses. And we see here that Gaius's house is used for the advancement of the kingdom. We need to be ready to die for Christ, but we also need to be ready to live for Christ. And we need to be ready to be generous for Christ. And we need to be ready to be able to live in a way and be dependable in the daily round. And so we see that with Gaius. He is willing to be generous. He is gracious. He is faithful. And he's willing to help the brethren and even strangers whom he has never met before to help them in Need. They have nowhere to go. They need help and they are coming and he has helped and provided for them. So it highlights that he's probably a man of means. It highlights he probably has uh, some savings built up. It probably highlights he has some wealth if he has a home. And notice John isn't telling him to sell everything. He's not saying that, right? Remember we said the love of money is the root of all evil, but it's not wrong, wrong to have it. And brethren, even those who are uh, just because uh, uh, um, loving money, you don't have to be rich or um, just have to be rich. Even poor people can love money and view it as an idol. The love of money is the root of all evil, whether you have it or not. So we need God's grace and we need God's wisdom to have a sober understanding of it. And so we see here that Gaius is not told to sell his home. We see that Joseph of Arimathea is not told to give away all his money. We see Lydia is not told to give away all her money because she is also rich as well. She was a purple dealer. I mean, uh, she was a very savvy business lady. But we need to be gracious. We need to be uh, generous. We need to be kind uh, in, in whatever way God has called us to. The Eighth Commandment goes against communism, right? You have your own property, so you're not supposed to steal it from other people. We get to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That is talking about enterprise. We get to eat, as uh, God says to Noah in the Noahic covenant. That is talking about enterprise, to provide for our family. That's what the government is supposed to do. They're supposed to punish the guilty and protect the innocent so that enterprise can happen, so that families can flourish, so that uh, people can provide for their families. Of course, we live in a fallen world, in a sinful world, and that does not happen, and it is sad. But there are many times that it does, and when it does, we ought to thank the Lord God. And even Ephesians 4 talks about the importance of working hard, working hard in whatever job we're called to, but working hard to A, provide for our families, but also B, to be able to help others as well. And if I may say, hard work is good for the soul, isn't it? Idleness is never good for anybody. There is on the one hand, we don't love money, but on the other hand, idleness is not good. Idleness is a terrible thing. We don't want people to being busybodies. I mean, Paul says, if they do not work with their hands, then they shall not eat. We're not talking about being lazy when, we talk, when we're talking about being generous. We're not trying to promote those who are lazy. We're trying to provide for those who are in need because money does help advance the kingdom of God by way of finances. So we see he is doing it towards the brethren. He's being gracious towards the brethren. He is being gracious towards strangers who are brethren. And then notice the church has borne witness of this in verse 6. Who have borne witness of your love before the church. You see, witnesses are important here because Diotrephes might say something else. 
There is conflict going on, and when there is conflict going on, it is not wrong to have witnesses. And so we see that the traveling missionaries, probably some of them from John's church, they go to Gaius's church, and then they see what Gaius is doing, and they bring back word to John's church, and they're like, look what, uh, look what Diotrephes is doing for one, look how wicked he's being, but also look at Gaius. And there's this witness, there is this commendation, there is this demonstration that is, uh, that is seen uh, by the church. So who have borne witness of your love before the church? They've come back to John's church and they're telling everybody in John's church of all that Gaius has done. So the church recognizes what Gaius has done and John commends Gaius for what he has done. So we see his commendation. And one thing we can take away from this, I think, the two main applications are going to be about hospitality and about finances. So I just want to say a brief word here about hospitality. It's going to differ a little bit in the Greco-Roman world because of what I've said. But one way we view hospitality is having one another over. And one way to love and care for one another is by having one another over. Some people like to ask, and they say, what is my ministry going to be? First of all, do we all have to have our own ministry that is approved by the church? Does it always have to be recognized by the church? Or can we do things without having the church have to recognize it? Can we love one another just by inviting one another over and praying for one another and encouraging one another and helping one another? Is it so wrong that God's people do that and get to know one another in that way? And sometimes, you know, we hear the word of God, we hear it preached, we need to be under the word of God. But sometimes it's not wrong to ask older brethren questions, to ask other people questions about what they do in life. There is the realities of, you know, uh, uh, couples. Husbands love their wives, wives love their husbands. Uh, uh, and so um, what, what can young couples do? They can get together with older couples and ask them, what did you do? How did you work through this? Because there's no Romans 17 on some of the nitty gritties that come up in life. There's no Romans 18 on some of the things that will come our way and we need help in those moments. That's what Titus 2 talks about too. What do the old men do? What do the young men do? What do the older ladies do? What do the younger ladies do? That can happen in the context of being with one another. That can happen in the context of uh, sharing meals with one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, providing meals for one another. Hebrews 13, again, more that traveling aspect, but it's how we can have brotherly love. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwitt unwittingly entertained angels. It means allow entertaining means allow people to feel at home. Also, in Romans chapter 12, after he's talked about the gifts, after he's talked about what people can do, and one of the gifts there is giving. One of the gifts there is giving liberally. He who gives with liberality in verse 8, but in verse uh, 13, well, verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, and given to hospitality. So how can we love one another? Being patient, praying, but also 
hospitality as well. Now notice I didn't tell you how often you all need to get together. Notice I didn't say when, but is there a time and a place? Uh, is there people specifically you want to start with? There's Christian liberty with respect to that. It's not wrong to have friends outside the church as well. It's not wrong. Uh, uh, there's the realities of family life that can make it hard. But is there a way that God's people can just look at their calendars, think through who they want to have over, and make a decision based upon their family situation? Absolutely. God's people can do that. But I'm not going to give you a time or place, when, and that sort of thing. But the Bible does talk about being hospitable, inviting people over, having people over, sharing in those things, getting to know one another. So hospitality is a blessed thing. Uh, we see Gaius's faithfulness in the daily round. Uh, and usually that is where we grow in the daily round. We can recognize God's goodness to us in the daily life because the daily life is very, very difficult. And since this is a commendation, I want to commend many of you for doing this already. I want to commend many of you for being hospitable, being gracious, being generous. I'll talk more about generosity in just a moment, uh, but thank you for being hospitable in our church. So that is the commendation, the commendation of Gaius uh, and his generosity, we see his hospitality, but we also see that he is generous by way of his giving as well, especially towards uh, these traveling preachers. So we move from the commendation now to the demonstration. So let's look at the demonstration of Gaius's generosity in verses 6 through 8. So the latter part of verse 6 into verse 8. Notice we see his care for them, not just by receiving them, but also by sending them off with something. And we see that if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. He gives them a worthy send-off. Now, I think the language of sending is instructive here. It highlights the sending off of a missionary by a church. It highlights the sending off of one who has been set apart. I think we see this in uh, Acts chapter 15. Uh, as we see, there's that issue that arises in the Antioch church. And then Paul and Barnabas are sent off to be representatives of the church of Antioch in Jerusalem. We see that Zenas uh, and Apollos are meant to be sent off uh, in Titus chapter 3. Men who are traveling around. And so we see it does seem to be connected with people who've been set apart by the church of Christ. And so they need to be sent off, sent off in a way that is worthy, sent off in a way that there's recognition of what they are doing. They don't just send them off with nothing. Thanks for coming. See you later. They send them off with some food. They send them off with some traveling money. They send them off. Or maybe they make arrangements for companions to come with them. Maybe they provide a means of travel. They see that they're going to walk. And so maybe they'll give them a horse. I don't know. Or a donkey. Or who knows. But they provide them some sort of means to go on their way. And so we see that if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God you will do well. You provide some sort of financial help for them, you will do well. And you will do so in a worthy way. These men are worthy men, set apart by God, and now send them off in a way that befits that office that they have. The recognition, and not just that, but you, have, you yourself have been redeemed in Christ. Now walk 
We see this language of worthy in Ephesians 4. Walk worthy of the calling by which God has called you. Walk in a way that is befitting a Christian. And we see here that Gaius is sending them off befitting of a Christian, but also befitting of one who is set apart by God most high. So he gives them this worthy send-off. He, he cares for them. He, he gives them uh, what they need. You will do well. He's commending him for this very thing. And he goes on to explain why they need help from Christians, why they need help from Gaius in verse 7. Because they went forth for his name's sake. Now there are bad preachers, Heretics, we saw them in 2 John and 1 John. So there are bad men out there. And we saw in 2 John, there are some men you're not supposed to receive. Anybody who denies that Jesus came in the flesh, don't receive them. Don't even greet them. Don't become, uh, share in uh, their evil deeds. So we have to have discernment. But there are men who have been set apart. And when those men come, the good men come, we ought to receive them. That is what John is saying here. There is nuance. There is the ability to discern that we see here. And so they've been sent out by in Jesus' name. They have sent out for the cause of Christ. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. We see Jesus' compassion in chapter 9. And we see the words, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And what happens right after that in Matthew chapter 10? We see the 12 set apart. We see the 12 who are set apart, and they, they themselves are sent out. And we see what Jesus says in verse 5. This goes with what we're going to read in a moment in 3 John. Don't go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of God is at hand. So they preach, and then the miracles affirm the word that is preached. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide their gold, nor silver, nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now, whatever city or town you inquire into, inquire uh, who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. So both sides are determining who is worthy, right? The one who is receiving the one into his home, he is determining who is worthy. Because typically at that time, when one received one into their home, they're basically vouching for them. They're functioning as a, uh, a surety in many ways. I, I vouch for this guy. So the, the one whose home is being opened up, he's saying, he's discerning, what's this guy saying? Where does he come from? That's why letters are good. <laughs> Later on in the, you know, the 1600s, you know, when church uh, men, uh, even members went to another church, they would uh, uh, send letters off and bring letters. And even when they transferred, they would bring letters of commendation. Uh, that's a, a good practice to have. And so the one receiving is looking and hearing. 
And the one also coming, the one set apart by God who goes into the house is discerning as well. Is this person one uh, that I can deem as worthy and spend time with? So the point is that there are those who've been set apart. They go out in Jesus' name, and it was especially important as the gospel was advancing to the ends of the earth in the apostolic age. The master has sent, the master sends, but also in the case with Third John, John the Elder has sent them. These men are appointed. These men have been set apart. We see the missionary enterprises being engaged in, and it is preaching, and it is planting, planting churches and affirming churches uh, as they go to the ends of the earth. And as they go to the ends of the earth, they're going to need to rely on Christians. And so they go out for the Lord's name. They go in his name's sake. And the reason, another reason uh, that it's good to provide for these preachers, John says, because they're going to take nothing from the Gentiles. Gentiles don't like Christians. The heathen don't like Christians. So it is incumbent upon Christians to help Christian things. It's so important for Christians to help and aid. Churches, by way of giving, to help seminaries. Do you think the government is going to give dough to seminaries? Or schools, Christian schools, Christian organizations. That's why it's important for the people of God. That's why, you know, having money is important for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Because money really is important and it really is a thoughtful thing. I'm going to illustrate this by way of gift cards and money. This is all for you boomers out there. At least I think it's boomers in this generation. But some people think, boomers, that giving uh, money is not very thoughtful. As a millennial, I can say it is very thoughtful. Because there are some things that are difficult to afford or some things you just want to get. And sometimes just giving gift cards or giving money at Christmas time or for a birthday is a good thing. Because for, uh, for someone who has little kids who lives in, uh, we're very thankful, but we don't have tons of room. And so I'm talking to my, uh, I shouldn't throw my mom under the bus. I shouldn't do that. I'm so sorry, mom. I'm going to say a sorry now to my mom uh, right now. But we don't have room for everything, brethren. We don't have room for a thousand things, right? Oh, great. But money is a helpful thing. And the same thing is true with respect to the kingdom of God. Giving money helps advance the kingdom of God. And sometimes we try to sound all holy and pious and say, I'm just giving my money. I'm just doing this, but I want to do other things. If you want to do other things, that's fine as well. But brethren, prayer and giving is a ministry. Prayer and giving is finances. Uh, is, and finances are helpful for the kingdom of God. And so, again, please understand, I love my mom. I've had that talk with her, so it's totally fine. But I'm just saying, sometimes being, you know, money can be more thoughtful uh, than gifts. And the same thing is true with the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so the application then is for all in verse 8. What's the application for all? We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Receiving true preachers. Now, for us, we don't have a lot of traveling missionaries these days, right? We don't have a lot of people coming in. And so what is it? It's providing for pastors. Again, I feel weird talking about money. 
because it's usually can come across self-servingly because I am your pastor. But 1 Timothy 5.18 does say, he who labors in the word of God is worthy of double honor. He says that very, very clearly. So that's why it's good for the church of Christ to provide for their pastors and to provide for them. And I'm very thankful for your generosity towards me so that I can do what I'm supposed to do. But also, as you've been generous as well, we can then help others as well. That's why Giving is so important. That's why giving is so vital, because we need to help those who are true preachers, truly been set apart by God most high. And as we do that, notice that we may become co-workers for the truth, that we can be fellow workers. That language is typically used of men who travel with Paul. We see that with Epaphroditus in Romans 2. Uh, Sorry, Philippians 2. We see that with other men in Romans 16. We see that with uh, other men in Colossians 4 and 2 Corinthians 1. But here it's used of Gaius. And it can be applied for all of God's people. How can we be co-workers and fellow workers for the truth? There are men who preach the truth. And there are those who help those men preach the truth. One writer says, the Christian missionaries cooperate with the truth by proclaiming it. We cooperate with it by entertaining them. The Christian missionary enterprise is therefore not undertaken by evangelists only, but also by those who entertain and support them. Giving is ministering and is how God's people can serve and promote the gospel. And a mature Christian recognizes that very thing. If God's people didn't give, I would not be able to devote my time like I do. If God's people don't give, we won't be able to plant churches. We cannot live on love and fresh air. That's why I love the language of John, that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Notice it's by daily things. It's by something that we might not think is Uh, as necessary or as ministerial as we might think, but it really is vital and important. That's why God's people do need to be very, very generous. And, you know, after throwing my mom under the bus, I want to commend her. She is very generous. She's a very generous lady. I love her very much. Please don't think I don't. I love her very, very much. And so generosity is a good thing. Generosity is something we all ought to aspire to be. Even if we don't have much, we ought to be a generous people. Again, the mature Christian recognizes uh, that money, having money isn't wrong. The mature Christian is uh, aware that it can be an idol, that it can be something that can take the place of God, and we need to be watchful of that. But a mature Christian also recognizes it's a gift given by God, and if God has given it, may we have the wisdom to know Uh, how we ought to use that in a way that is pleasing unto him, in a way that honors him, about having a balanced, sober recognition uh, of what God has given to us. Paul does say in Acts 20, he connects the preaching with giving. He says in Acts 20, 32 through 35, He says, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. How do we grow? Word of God. We commit ourselves to the word of God. But also, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. 
Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so Paul, Gaius is doing what Paul said. He is holding fast to the word of God, but we see that as he lives his life, as he loves the brethren, we see he does so in this way by providing a home for those who are traveling and by sending them off and giving them what they need when they are sent off. Now, as far as giving to the church of Christ, it is actually a duty of members according to Acts 2.42. Remember when they joined the church and what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching then we see breaking of bread and prayer. I missed the second thing, and that's fellowship. The word fellowship, brethren, is used in 1 Corinthians 16 to provide, to talk about giving, to share with one another, to help one another, to provide for one another in that way. Philippians 4 talks about it as a sacrifice, talks about it, and even so, I know some Reformed Baptist churches used to do what we do. We have the offering at the back. They brought it back into the church service, I don't know that I'm comfortable with that <laughs> just yet. But the point is, they recognize that it is an act of worship. God has given to me. I ought to give to him. That is a duty of all of God's people. He has given to us. We ought then to give to him. And notice, I have not said how much. In the Old Testament, the number is 10%. It's tithe, right? That is usually a good amount. That's a good place to go to, but the New Testament does not give an amount. We could do more. We could do less, but we give as the Lord prospers. But the point is we need to be a generous people. We need to be generous with what God has given to us. Even if we don't have much, all of it comes from God, and we still ought to be generous with what uh, he has given to us. Again, not saying you give to the point of being destitute, but we ought to think through what God has done, thank him for what he has done, and be willing to be generous with what he has given to us. Generosity is a good thing. Generosity is a sign of maturity. Faithfulness is a sign of maturity. Dependability is a sign of maturity. Hospitality uh, is important as well. So those general things need to be in our purview. Those general things need to be in our mind. The specifics, you need to work that out with God and work that out with your family on what you're going to do. But we ought to be a generous people. We ought to recognize where it all comes from. And it all comes from him who has been so good to us. He's been so good to us to give and provide for us. But he's also been so good to us to give us Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if you're an unbeliever here today, I just want to close by reminding us all, but especially you, about the gospel of Christ. You see, money is needed for life, but money does not save, and you cannot buy eternal life with your money. It's only by believing in Jesus Christ. That's why these traveling preachers go out to preach the name of Christ to look to him, to call upon him, to believe upon him. And if you do, you shall be saved and you shall have life. You shall have eternal life. And there's a blessed picture in 2 Corinthians 8 that speaks about the gospel in, by using finances as a way to describe it. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. And we could add that we who are poor might be rich. 
And it has nothing to do with anything good within us. It has nothing to do with how much money or how much money we have or do not have. It has everything to do with Christ Jesus. If you believe upon him, you shall be saved. And I really love one of the stanzas of hymn 393, and we'll close with this. Come ye needy, come and welcome. God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Without money, without money, without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. Well, let us pray. Well, Lord Jesus Christ, we are thankful for the fact that we can come to you without money and buy, and we have all that we need in you. We have been fully satisfied eternally in Christ Jesus, and we are thankful that we have tasted of the bread of life, and we have drunk of the living water, and we long to do so in the new heavens and new earth, and we're thankful for the gifts you've given to remind us of that and to help us with that and to teach us about that, and we ask and pray that you would... Um, Help us as we walk this fallen world to have a sober understanding of finances. If you have given us much, help us to be generous. If you have not given us as much, we pray you'd help us to be trusting and help us to know that all that you do for us uh, is a gift and you know what is best for us. You know if we have, if having too much would ruin us uh, and you know that. Uh, what we need. And so we are thankful for that and thank you that you know what is best. And we know that these things are, are difficult to talk about and to speak about. And we ask and pray that you would uh, help us to have that sober understanding and that biblical recognition of what it is not to teach health, wealth, and prosperity, but to teach where every good and perfect gift comes from. And more importantly, where the eternal life comes from and knowing that all that we have in this fallen world cannot be taken with us uh, into the new heavens and new earth, and yet we are thankful that it'll be far greater in the new heavens and new earth. So please help us to grow into maturity as we think of these things. Help us to be thoughtful. Help us to be careful. Help us to be um, gracious with one another and to be generous with what you've given to us. So help us now as we come and partake of the Lord's Supper. Be with us by your spirit, we pray in the name of Christ.